0: Amen, amen, amen. God bless you this morning. Turn to the person next to you and say, you're looking better now than when I first saw you. How do we know that's true? Because the Bible says God is the glory and the lifter of our countenance. Amen, amen. We're going to look into the word of God. Here at Victory Church, we lift up the name of Jesus and we honor the Word of God. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my Word will never pass away. And so it's important that we open up our heart and that we hear the Word of God. If you would turn with me to Luke chapter 23. I've entitled my message, Lessons from Another Cross. Lessons from Another Cross. There have been... Tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of books written about the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross of Jesus Christ is the most powerful symbol in all the world. But it's not just a symbol. It represents the greatest sacrifice that was ever made where the blessed and holy Son of God laid down his life For the sins of the world. In my personal library, I have probably dozens of books on the cross. Paul, the greatest theologian, shaped and uh, systematize the theology of the cross. And he said of the cross As for me, God forbid that I should boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our boasting, our rejoicing, our celebration is not in our own achievements or our own attainments, but it's in the cross of Jesus Christ. We boast in that cross because we know what it represents. We know the power of the cross, not only uh, theologically or theoretically, but experientially. The change that takes place in our life is through the cross, In Paul, he boasted in the cross. Back then, the cross was an instrument of torture and an instrument of shame. So why did Paul glory in the cross? Because in it, the most selfless act ever performed by men or angels took place on it. Amen? He saw in the old rugged cross the hope of humanity, the end of sin's bondage. He saw in the cross the love of God revealed. One preacher said, a lone man dying on a cross did more to restore man's relationship with God than all the combined genius and power of earth's mightiest. But this morning, I want to give a little different twist, if you will. I want to look at the cross of Christ from a different angle. I want to actually view... If you would turn with me to... Luke chapter 23, when Jesus was hung up on the cross, his feet nailed to the cross, his hands nailed, his side split open, his brow bleeding with a crown of thorns. The Bible tells us in Luke chapter 23, chapter 23, verse 32, there were also two others, criminals led with him to be put to death. So Jesus, when he went to Calvary, there were two other criminals that went along with him. And the Bible says in verse 33, when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, Jesus, and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. This morning I want to talk to you about Lessons from another cross. I want to read this passage of scripture. I just wanted to set it up for you to understand that when Jesus hung blood and died on Calvary, he wasn't the only one that was on that cross. There, were a, there was a criminal to the right and there was a criminal to the left of him. And the Bible says in verse 39, then one of the criminals who were hanged "'blasphemed him, saying, "'If you are the Christ, save yourself in us.' "'But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, "'Do you not even fear God, "'seeing you are under the same condemnation? "'And we indeed justly, "'for we receive the due reward of our deeds, "'but this man has done nothing wrong.' "'Then he said to Jesus, "'Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom.' And Jesus said to him assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, as I read this scripture, I don't know if you've ever read it for yourself. or This might be the first time you're hearing it. I am so impressed by what I hear from this one criminal that was dying on the cross. I am so impressed by his knowledge His theological understanding is really incredible. He had a solid grasp of biblical truth. I venture to say that if he were to give a lesson in theology or tell what he knows by what we hear in the scripture, he would probably know more about the cross than most Americans do. My question is this morning, where did he learn it from? How did he get such revelation? Because when you look at some of the things, some of the lessons I'm going to share with you, just a few lessons that we gain from this passage of Scripture, it's, it's amazing the revelation he had. It's amazing the insight that he had. Where did he get it? How did he come across such knowledge, such revelation, such insight, into spiritual matters? Had he been brought up in the church? Had he been brought up in a godly family and and then he turned away from the, the right path and ended up in sin and degradation and ended up on a cross? Or was he totally ignorant of the scriptures and understood them in the last few minutes of his life? The Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't explain that. All we get to go by is what is revealed in the Word of God and what we see in these few scriptures. But again, the incredible comprehension of biblical truth. I want to make note if you are a Bible student, and I trust all of you are into the Word of God. I know all of us are into Facebook, I know all of us are into social media. I know some of us are into sports. I know some of us are into a lot of other things, but we, as the people of God, need to be in the scriptures. Turn to the person next to you and say, you ought to be saying amen. Amen. But I want you to note in Mark's gospel, Matthew's gospel, that this man that I'm talking about, these lessons that I'm talking about from another cross, that this criminal also started out reviling and cursing Christ. In Matthew chapter 27 verse 44, even those robbers who were crucified with him reviled him. Mark 15:32, and those who were crucified with him reviled him. So we have two criminals, one on each side of Jesus. Both of them are uh, dying for for the punishment uh, for their crimes, and, and they're reviling and cursing Jesus. They're saying, you know, if you're the Christ, come down from the cross, save yourself and save us also. They were just looking to save their neck. They were just looking to get out of trouble. And I think all of us, when we get in a jam, when we have a problem, when we begin to suffer the consequences of bad choices, we just want out. Right. Lord, save me. We don't care how it's done or we don't, we don't care about uh, the steps to it. or We just, we just want out. But, but we're going to learn some lessons from, from this man, from this other thief on the cross. Uh, he, he was really a, a, a scholarly man, if you will. It's amazing how this man on the cross started out so bad, but he had a change of heart. This scripture literally fulfills a saying that we might say frequently. While there is breath, there is hope. While there is life, There is hope. Hallelujah. Turn to the person next to you. Say, while there is breath, there is hope. Amen. Amen. We see in Luke chapter 23, verse 39, this man went from reviling Christ to actually revealing Christ. He went from cursing Christ to actually confessing Christ. This man while he's on the cross, comes to his senses. He comes to his senses. What does it mean to come to your senses? It means to begin to think in a correct or sensible way after being foolish or wrong. In life, all of us need to come to our senses. Because we think foolishly, because of our sinful nature, we begin to to get into thought patterns that can begin to lead us into habits, that can be bad habits, that can begin to lead us into bondage, that can begin to lead us into strongholds, that begin to slowly take our soul away, take our life away. And if you're living and breathing this morning, all of us have been vulnerable to sin because we live in a world of sin. We have a sinful nature and it's by nature that we just sin. We like to sin because the Bible says there is pleasure in sin. But we've, we, the devil is a master at masquerading the effects of our sin, the consequences of our sin, what our sin leads to. But I thank God that Jesus hung, bled, and died on Calvary to forgive our sin and to deliver, deliver us from the power of sin. And that is so important. It's not enough that we're forgiven, but that we're delivered from the power of our sin. How many of you know sin is powerful? That's It's true. It's true. But here's this man on the cross suffering for the consequences of bad choices receiving the due punishment hanging on a cross dying but somehow some way he comes to his senses he comes to a better frame of mind The parable of the prodigal son tells us of a young man who turned away from the right path in life to one of sin, rebellion, and ungodliness. But then he sank so low and he hit his rock bottom. He hit his rock bottom, and the scripture says he came to his senses. You know, sin is insanity. I said, sin is insanity. Sin will take you further than you want to go, it'll cost you more than you want to pay, and it'll keep you longer than you want to stay. Sin is insanity. But, but the Bible says the prodigal son hit rock bottom and he came to his senses. There's a time in life where we come to our senses or we should come to our senses or we should seize that opportunity to change. You know, change is not easy. Fold your arms. Just fold your arms. I want you to, I'm telling you to fold your arms. Now, I want you to do the opposite. Fold them another way. Some of you can't even do that, right? Because we're so used to the way we fold our arms. Try it, men. Women, when you go home, put your pants on with the other leg. You're going to fall. You're going to trip. I, I, I put my pen right leg on all the time. You try putting the opposite. Why? Because we're so conditioned to do things a certain way. We don't like change. We don't like change. We like to do things a certain way. And even when things are bad in our life, even when we are, are suffering or in pain or uh, um, being abused or being neglected or, or hurting or whatever, we, we, we stay the same because change is hard. Someone once said, you will not change until the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change. Let me say that again. You will not change until the pain of staying the way I am. Staying the same becomes greater than the pain of change. Change is painful, but, but, but when we start to hurt in a greater way, that becomes a motivation to change. When we get a notice, when we get a report, when we hear something that puts us in that place, uh, between a rock and a hard place, then we become forced to begin to change. And change is possible. Change is possible. We see a bleeding, dying man on a cross... And he comes to his senses. He gets he has a an aha moment. The light goes on. He gets a revelation. He gets some insight. And oh how we need insight. How we need revelation. How we need our eyes open. How we need the Holy Spirit to help us to see the way things are. Truly, truly the way things are. We need that moment of clarity. We need the light to go on. And you see, that's the story of of this cross. That's the lessons that we can learn. You see, we can learn something today that can make a difference. I said, you can learn something today that can make a difference. It did in his life. It did in his life. What a revolutionary change it made in this criminal's life. He woke up a criminal condemned to death. He fell asleep, a believer, with eternal life. He woke up on his way to hell, and he fell asleep on his way to heaven. He woke up with, with, with no future without God. He fell asleep without, with an unending future with God. He woke up having made all the wrong decisions in life. He fell asleep having made the best and most important decision in life. That tells us there's hope for everyone. There's hope for you. There's hope for me. Hallelujah. Quickly, quickly, I want to give you a couple of lessons. I don't know how many I'm going to get through, but lesson number one, what does this man teach us? What What is the lesson from the cross, from the other cross? The fear of God. Look at verse 40, but the other answering rebuked him. The one criminal who started out reviling Christ and cursing Christ has a change of heart, has a revelation, has a, an aha moment, has, a, has a, a coming to his senses. He rebukes the other criminal who's still cursing Jesus. He said to him in verse 40, he says, do you not even fear God? Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation as this man? He grasped the important truth of fearing God. Fearing God. Do you know that there are some unhealthy fears in life, but there are some healthy fears? You know, a healthy fear is being afraid of playing in traffic on ninety-five. At four thirty or five o'clock, that's a healthy fear. Not all fears are unhealthy. There are some healthy fears. There is a healthy fear of God. Now I understand. Maybe some of you, your upbringing, maybe at home, maybe in the church, you saw God as a fire-breathing, vengeful God who was always looking to get you. You step out of line, He wants to get you. He wants to to, to judge you. He wants to cast you into hell. So maybe you grew up with, with, with some, some extreme view, a distorted picture of God. And what happens is we can rebel against that to create a God in our own liking. We could, we could say, well, I, God, my God is not like that, or God is not like that. And we only see God as loving, merciful, and gracious, of which he is, thank God. But there is another side of God. He is a holy God, he's a righteous God, and he must judge sin. And you see, that's what the cross is all about. God judging our sin, but making his son the bearer of that judgment. What an exchange. What a bailout, you know. We've had bailouts during the the financial crisis in 2008. During COVID, we got checks from the government. It was like a bailout, it was a help. What a bailout. The greatest bailout ever made was on the cross... When Jesus took our punishment and exchanged and gave us his righteousness. Praise be the name of Jesus. But my Bible tells me in 2 Peter chapter 2, for if God did not spear the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into the chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and if God did not spear the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who would afterward live ungodly. What is Peter saying? Peter, the apostle, under the revelation or under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying that that God, he didn't spare the ancient world when they sinned. He didn't spare Sodom and Gomorrah. He gave them chances to repent. He gave them chances to turn around. God has been so patient with this nation. God has been so patient with a nation that that has turned its back on God, cast God out of its schools, cast God out of its moral, moral perspective, and has been so evil and so ungodly. You know, ungodly is simply living as if there is no God. It's living as if you are a law unto yourself and that, you know what, you can do what you want, say what you want, go what you want, be what you want, do anything, and there's no accountability. But there is a day of accountability. God is seen as a loving, merciful God, and even in judgment, understand something, even in judgment, his desire is that man would turn back to him. It's his last call to a wayward people. Hebrews 10.31 says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It is a fearful thing. Hebrews 12.28 says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably for with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Hello? Amen. Amen. It is so critical. It is so critical to understand the fear of God. I've talked to people and I've I've had people tell me, you know what, The, the, the fear of an eternity separated from God gets my attention. Jude, one of the writers of the New Testament, he said this, he said, of some save with fear. Pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Some saved with fear. Not everybody comes by fear, but sometimes fear is a motivation. This criminal might never have come to salvation if he wasn't bleeding on a rugged cross himself. One scholar said conversion really happens on a soft, easy couch. Hello? Amen? It is so important that we understand the fear of God. What we have in a nation right now is no fear of God. I saw a video not too long ago of a transgender person. Hey, listen, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to be, it's okay. It's between you and God. I'm not going to judge you, but, but you know what? You can't flaunt that in the face of God and expect God to be pleased with a nation that accepts everything and believes. God loves everyone, but his cross came to change us, to deliver us from every sin. Homosexual sin, lesbian sin, and heterosexual sin. God made man and one man and one woman, and, he, and, and sex was to be wholesome in a marriage covenant. But I saw a video of a transgender person parading herself, monks clapping and cheering right in a church, right up to an altar, and she wasn't wearing much clothes, or he wasn't wearing much clothes. Flaunting the vileness, the wickedness, that's just an extreme, extreme example, but we have been so conditioned to, to, to believe and accept everything and anything not realizing that there is such a thing as the fear of god if we understood the fear of god i think it would cause us to think, of, uh, think about what we're thinking about or watch what we're speaking or begin to watch our actions because there will be a judgment day every single one of us will stand before a holy god and in le- how much do, how do i know god hates sin cuz i look at the cross God hated sin so much that he judged it. But he loved us so much that he judged sin in his own son. How shall we escape, Hebrews said, if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape? How shall we find another venue or another avenue and get away if we neglect the greatest sacrifice that was ever made? This man said, don't you fear God? There is a healthy fear of God, just as there would be an unhealthy fear of God. Proverbs sixteen six says, by the fear of the Lord, man departs from evil. Hello? That's the word of God. By the fear of the Lord, man departs from evil. They say, hey, wait a minute, uh-oh, I'm going to have to give an account. I'm going to have to stand and give an account one day. You know what? I'm sorry, but I won't be there to help you out. Your spouse won't be there to help you out. No one will be there. It'll be you and God. And you know what? On that screen is going to be all your sins, all your thoughts. I like to fool around and say, imagine if we had the technology, row 5, seat 3, just put up all their thoughts right now. Even in church, some of what you're thinking. Even in church, some of you are still on your phone. Even in church, some of you are still thinking about other things. When the holy word of God is being preached, you're going to need this. You're going to need it. You can't go by your charisma. You can't go by your degrees. You can't go by inspiration at moments. It's got to be a heartfelt, consistent walk with God. Even when inspiration don't seem to be there, you will obey God. Proverbs chapters 1 through 7, they, they lay out this whole, uh, whole understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Amen. You see, judgment threatened is not to condemn us, but to save us. To warn us. We try to do that with our own children, don't we? Because we love them, we want them to avoid the consequences of their sin. We try to to discipline them the best way we can. How much more a holy God? He loves us, does not want to see us go down paths and go down. You see, sin is so prevalent in our culture, young people don't have a chance unless they stay close to Jesus. Sin's too powerful. Come on, the, 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 the sex, the, 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 the lust, the, the vileness, I cannot believe some of the commercials I see about the programs that are on TV now. Every vile practice that the scriptures condemn are now mainstream. God, help us. You know what it says about Lot when he was in Sodom and Gomorrah? He was a godly man, but because he was there so long, he became desensitized. He began to, 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 to linger too long when God wanted to deliver the people from Sodom and Gomorrah. You know what had to happen? He was telling Lot and his family were supposed to get out. They lingered. An angel had to grab him, grab him and say, come on, let's get out of here. Imagine, think about the scriptures. He has a righteous lot in the midst of all that perversion and he gets so comfortable that that an angel had to drag him out of here. That's the mercy of God. Sometimes you don't realize that there are angels dragging you out of your mess. There are angels dragging you out of your sin. There are angels dragging you out of your confusion. You're not that holy. You're not that good. Neither am I. But the Holy Spirit is faithful and God will assign angels to pull us out of destruction. If it had not been the Lord who was on my side, let Israel now say, If it had not been the Lord who was on my side, when men rose up against me, they would have destroyed me. Bless the Lord, all my soul, who delivers from all my destruction. Number two, and I'm going to close with this. i got too many points. But you're glad because you don't want my sermons to be Pointless. The first lesson from another cross is the fear of God. The second is like unto it taking personal responsibility. Oh, this is a big one. Look what he says. Look what he says. I'm in the Bible. I'm in the Bible. I'm in the scriptures this morning. Look at verse 41. For we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. We... Indeed justly we deserve what we've got coming. He understood that he was reaping the consequences of his own sin. The other one on the other cross all he wanted was to get be saved. Get me off this cross. There's no remorse. There's no repentance. There's no anguish over sin. There's no understanding of 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 of, of conviction. He just wants to get saved. And a lot of times, people even come to church. All they want to do is get saved. They just want all their problems to go away. Well, I'm not a magician. I'm not a Houdini. These steps, God will begin to deliver you, but you also have to walk out your salvation with fear and tremble. You have to work it out and what God works in you, and it's a process. If you, if you live a certain way for 20, 30, 40 years and expect God to change everything tomorrow, that ain't going to happen. But God will begin to change you. God will begin to restore you. God will begin, he will do it. He is faithful to do it, amen. But here he is, he understood he understood that if he was gonna get right, he had to take personal responsibility. God help us to admit when we're wrong. Turn to the person next to you say, don't be defensive. Nobody's perfect. You know, I remember hearing a preacher one time and it was so freeing to me. He said, basically, you've got nothing to prove to anybody and you've got nothing to lose. Just just be, be free. But we get so defensive, all of us get defensive. And I find even in the church, you can't tell anybody anything sometimes. Not this church, I'm talking about another one. But the reality of it is, if we're gonna continue to grow, to come to Jesus, you have to admit you're a sinner. To be saved, you have to admit you're being, you're drowning. That's the first step, but it's also continual steps. We all have to continue to acknowledge, continue to admit that that we make mistakes. That's part of sanctification. And then you receive grace. You know, sometimes we, we we don't see it, we don't understand that, especially in our culture, it's very hard to get people to admit they're wrong and take personal responsibility. We've, we've created a whole legal system. We've created even a whole theology that exonerates people and puts the blame on other people. But we're all in need of God's grace. We all need to say, Lord, it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me. And this man said, we indeed justly, we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. Well, you're saying, well, I'm not a thief on the cross, you know, the, uh, there was a pastor who was having a, a difficult time with a church member. Again, not in this church. But this church member didn't want to come to church. They didn't want to tithe. They didn't want to get involved in a ministry. And so they're giving the preacher, the pastor, a hard time, and the pastor's trying to convince him. And so, so this person says, well, pastor, the thief on the cross, yes, he was. He didn't tithe. Was he saved? Yes. He didn't go and get involved in any ministries. Was he saved? Yes. So the man says to the pastor, well, what do you think about that? So the pastor thought for a moment, and he said, you know, he said, the only difference between you and that other thief was he's a dying thief, and you're a living one. (laughs) You see, he understood the justice of God. That's why when we have an altar call, when we have times of prayer, sometimes it's good just to kneel in the presence of God. Sometimes it's good to just focus on, on the Lord and to acknowledge that, that we need his grace. And taking personal responsibility is always a step in the right direction. Alcoholics Anonymous, one of the steps is taking personal inventory, Right. Those steps are biblical and it's, it's evaluating and not blaming other people but saying, where am I wrong? And, and again, this man, what insight. Let me just close with one more. I'm going to just close with one more. The third, the third lesson, he understood the uniqueness of Christ. Look at verse 41. He says, this man has done nothing wrong. He knew that he himself and his friend were not in the same class as Christ. They were ungodly, they were sinners, they were guilty. He was worthy, he was sinless, he was innocent. Hebrews 4.15 says that Christ was tempted as we are, yet without sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he, he who knew no sin became sin for us. He knew no sin. Christ is in a class all by himself. There's no religious leader, there's no prophet, there's no Muhammad, there's no Buddha, there's no king, there's no Old Testament great, there's no New Testament great. There is no one that is in the class of Jesus Christ. He is not one of the prophets, He is God in the flesh. He is sinless, He is holy, He is pure, He is undefiled. Hebrews chapter 7. This is good theology. I hope you're listening. Verse 26, for such a high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, who has become higher than the heavens. Amen. There are no skeletons in his closet. I'm going to close with this illustration, then I have one quick video I want to show. When I, was, uh, I graduated from Zion Bible College, which is now North Point, and I took a year off and I served in my my home church. and And, and then uh, I went on for a fourth year Bible college. I went to a Bible college, which, which was one of the happening places in, in America, uh, a, a great Bible college. It went from 150 students to 1,500 students in four years. Some of the greatest faculty, some of the greatest buildings. I mean, it was a happening place. Thousands of people in the church. The school had uh, 1,500. I mean, it was, it was a happening place. The leader of that ministry had a moral failure. Got involved with prostitutes and alcohol and, and a lot of things. And, and it, was, it, was a, it was a tragedy. It was a great tragedy. He was one, once used mightily by God, impacting nations. He'd have crusades through Central America, 100,000 people. He was supporting missionaries around the world. Uh, just, just an amazing, amazing work that was being done. But um, he fell into moral failure. And, um, and, and, and I remember being there. Now, understand... We, we see even today some, some pastors, some preachers, some denominational leaders failing in sin and, and, and doing the wrong thing and suffering the consequences of it. Uh, and it's, it's difficult, it's difficult. But we always have to keep our eyes on Jesus. I remember trying to process all of that. Here I am in a Bible college that has the name of this individual. The Bible college is named his name. So, so here I am, I have a diploma I remember calling up a few years later saying, can I get a new name for my diploma? Can you issue me a new diploma? Because they had changed the name of the Bible school but they wouldn't do that. But anyway, I remember trying to process it. And I, we, this, this, this blew up during the week, had satellite uh, uh, news agencies all around the perimeter of the camp, campus, had, had helicopters flying over. I mean, it was, it was a circus, it was, it was, it was crazy. And I remember, here I am in a Bible college of a man who, who became a public shame across the, the nation and around the world. And I remember on a Saturday having to go on a ministry that was part of the curriculum. And we had to go and share the gospel with people. And we were using the buses from the minute that the church, is, uh, that the church owned. And I remember being, going, waking up that morning and saying, God, I, wanna, I don't want to be doing this it's so embarrassing. It's, I'm so ashamed of what, what has happened, and I have to go and tell people about Jesus, and I'm driving in a bus that everybody sees the name of the church on. And you know, the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I, I want you to get this because this is important. The Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, listen, you are not representing so-and-so. You are representing me. And that was a power. Uh, you got to understand, I'm in the throes of this. I'm in the middle of this as a 20-something-year-old trying to find my way. What do I do? Do I stay in school? Do I leave the school? How do I process? How do I deal with this? Someone I looked up to had this great moral failure. And you know what, I, you know what else I felt the Lord say? You know, there might have been skeletons in his closet. But there's no skeletons in, in Jesus' closet. Amen. There's no bones. He rose from the dead. There's nothing to be ashamed. When you stand for Jesus, when you cling to Jesus, when you worship Jesus, you never have to be put to shame because there'll never be a scandal. There'll never be skeletons in his closet. There'll never be anything that'll make you ashamed because the Savior that we serve is awesome, he's mighty, and he's great. Can you play that clip for me? And we're going to close in prayer.
1: Sufficient Savior I wonder if you know him today He supplies strength for the weak He's available for the tempted And the tried He sympathizes and he saves He strengthens and sustains He guards and he guides He heals the sick He cleans the lepers He forgives sinners He discharges debtors He delivers the captives He defends the feeble he blesses the young, he serves the unfortunate, he regards the age, he rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him, he's a key to knowledge, he's a wellspring of wisdom, he's a doorway of deliverance, he's a pathway of peace, he's a roadway of righteousness, he's a highway of holiness, he's a day. Limitless, His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him and you can't live with without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilots couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the brave
0: Amen, Amen if the singers and the musicians could come back this morning, would you stand together with me? Do you know him? Do you know Jesus personally? Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I want to just ask this morning, on us to come around these altars for a few moments to pray. But first, I want to ask if there's some person here, you might be young, you might be old, you might be new, you might be coming from, for a while. Have you ever truly accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and as your Savior? That simply means that you acknowledge that you need a Savior. You, you acknowledge you're a sinner. We're all sinners. The Bible says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the mark. We acknowledge we're a sinner. We acknowledge we can't save ourselves because if we could, we would. If we could, we would have. Only Jesus is qualified to save us. Only he was perfect and holy. He lived a perfect and holy life. He died. He rose again to justify us, to forgive us our sins. We must admit. We must believe that. And then we must confess him as our Lord and Savior. And then we must decide to live for his glory. The Bible says we live for him who died for us. Why why should we be excited about Jesus? Why should we give our all to Jesus? Why should we live for him? Because he died for us. There's no other cause worthy to live for, to really give ourselves for. There are a lot of good causes in this world, but none as great and as critical and as important as the cause of Jesus Christ. But you have to confess your sin. And if you're a Christian and you're living in sin, it could be sexual sin. It could be be any kind of uh, habit that is destructive. It could be anything. God's grace is sufficient. But you have to admit it like that man on the cross. He said, we we deserve what we're getting. we're, We're sinners. He's holy. When you do that, God's grace comes to you. God, Jesus came with perfect grace and truth. A woman was caught in the very act of adultery. And the law of Moses said she should be stoned with stones. Her and him. But look at the religious bigotry or the, or the whatever you want to call it. They didn't bring the man, they just brought the woman. Right away, there's something wrong. But Jesus saw through it and he said, He who's without sin cast the first stone. They began to drop the stones And only the woman stood there and Jesus said to her, where are your accusers? And she said, they're gone, there's no one here. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. There's his grace, there's his mercy. God is a God of love, God is a God of mercy, no matter what sin you've committed. Look at this man dying on the cross. He was a robber, but, but most likely uh, the, the, the Greek word speaks that he was a robber who killed people to get money. It wasn't just robbery. He was an armed robber. He was one who killed people. He was, a, he was a bad dude, but he was forgiven. This day you'll be with me in paradise, Jesus said. God is merciful. He'll forgive any sin. But Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you, But he said, go and sin no more. See, there's the other side of it. There's the mercy and the grace, but there's the justice. You just, don't get forgiven and just keep living your own way because then that's not true repentance. Repentance is you turn away from sin to turn towards Jesus. You turn away from what's displeasing. How do you find that out? You find that out in the Bible. How do you know what's right and wrong? Not by culture, not by TV, not by what your friends say, but by what God's Word says. You learn about God, you learn about right and wrong from the book. This book we stand upon. This book we preach. And so this morning, I want to ask you, if, if, you, if you need to come and you need to acknowledge some things before God, if you need God's grace this morning, and I know that's hard to do, and I know, I know how church people can be. I know how people can be sometimes. They don't want to acknowledge that their pride will keep them in their seat. Their pride will worry about what others are going to say. Their pride will feel like they're put on display. But you know what? When it get, comes to getting right with God, it doesn't matter. Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before the angels of heaven. I don't know about you, but I'd rather humble myself here than be humble there. So this morning, as they begin to sing, I want you to just move out of your seat. This is about getting right with God. Whether you're a Christian or this is your first time, you move out of your seat and you say, I want to I learn some lessons. I want to I learn some lessons today. And as they begin to sing, it might be one, it might be two, it might be many. You just begin to come. Amen. Everyone bow their heads and let's pray right now. Father, thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the truth of God. Thank you, God, for the Word is powerful. God, it's, it's not emotionalism. It's not sensationalism. It's the truth. It's your Word. It's the Word that sets people free. It's not emotionalism. It's the Word of God. And so, God, today, I pray that the Word of God would touch people's hearts, I pray today that the anointing of the Holy Spirit will, will give someone a hope this morning, like that, that dying man who woke up hopeless, but he had an encounter with the living God. He had an understanding. Touch every heart right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's begin to sing. Let's find a place to pray, a place to, to meditate, to contemplate what we've heard.
1: Was my cross you bore so I could